But how about a round of applause for Herschel and his family for putting up with all this trash? You tell them, if you Lindsay. don't believe that, you shouldn't be allowed to drive in Georgia. <laughs> the best way to get off track for America is to lack Herschel Walker to the United States Senate in Georgia. Yeah. Wait a minute. Did he just say the best way to get off track in America is to elect Herschel Walker? That's what he said. That Lindsey Graham is a genius. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right No it ain't I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs Clowns to the left of me Jokers to the right Here I am stuck in the middle with you Yes I am From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles This is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW, Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, in Palinville, New York on WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe for you across the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another, no doubt, thrilling episode of the Bradcast. I'm thrilled already. Yes, I know. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, But your money back if you don't find it thrilling. By the way, as I was doing the opening there, speaking of Lindsey Graham, that was Lindsey Graham you heard at the top in Georgia uh, fighting for uh, Herschel Walker, who's running for U.S. Senate against Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock. <laughs> giving a let's hear it for Herschel and what his family has had to put up with his family who he has largely abandoned in his four children with four different wives etc but so that was Lindsey Graham down in Georgia as I'm speaking across uh, the internets comes this politics alert from Washington Post Lindsey Graham must testify before Georgia grand jury investigating Trump and 2020 election court rules. He, of course, has been uh, trying to avoid giving testimony to that grand jury as part of the investigation into the conspiracy to try and steal the 2020 presidential election by Donald Trump, by Rudy Giuliani, by, yes, Lindsey Graham, Mark Meadows, a whole bunch of folks in on that alleged conspiracy being investigated by that special grand jury, which could get these folks in a lot of trouble, including, yes, Lindsey Graham. 
despite the fact that he believes the best way to get America off track <laughs> is by electing Herschel Walker. Anyway, we got a grab bag of stuff for you to try to get to today, which uh, may or may not all tie together. I don't know, but I guess that's what grab bags are for. Yes. I guess. So let's start here. Remember how yesterday... Uh, on the broadcast, we discussed with congressional historian and political scientist Norm Ornstein how back in 2011, the far right so-called Tea Party Caucus in Congress, which has since changed its name to uh, the Freedom Caucus in Congress, they uh, back in 2011, they threatened to crash the U.S. and the global economy by threatening to block the lifting, the raising of the dumb debt ceiling, which authorizes the government to borrow money that is needed to pay for stuff that Congress and the president have already authorized us to buy. It's like, you know, getting permission to pay off your credit card bill um, <laughs> by uh, simply threatening to refuse to raise the debt limit and sending the U.S. government into default for the first time in history back in 2011, unless then-President Obama agreed to future future spending cuts. Remember, they only do this when there's a Democrat in, in the Oval Office. Anyway, that action alone, just threatening to... Uh, you know, potentially put the government into default for the first time, ended up tanking the economy. The Dow plummeted some 2,000 points. And our AAA credit rating for the U.S. for the first time in history was actually downgraded because the financial markets saw instability in the American government thanks to what these right-wing Tea Party freaks were doing. That threat which was eventually withdrawn there were after obama made some concessions nonetheless it ended up costing the us economy as we discussed tens of billions of dollars and as we discussed with ornstein as well yesterday republicans are now threatening to do that very same thing if they win back a house or senate majority just a few weeks from now in the critical upcoming midterm elections this time, uh, presumptive House Speaker Kevin McCarthy suggests that his caucus will be demanding cuts to Medicare and Social Security in exchange for allowing the U.S. government to pay for what it has already purchased uh, to avoid a first time in history default by the U.S. government. Well, more on that upcoming election in a bit. But for the moment, I, I raise the point because we're now seeing something kind of similar going on in the UK. British Prime Minister Liz Truss quit on Thursday after a tumultuous and historically brief uh, about six week term in office marred by economic policies that roiled financial markets and a rebellion in her own political party that obliterated her authority. According to AP, Truss became the third conservative prime minister to be toppled in as many years, extending the instability that has shaken Britain since it broke off from the European Union and leaving its leadership in limbo as the country faces a cost of living crisis and a looming recession. Quote, I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party, Truss acknowledged in a statement delivered outside her 10 Downing Street office. 
and she resigned immediately as the head of the conservative Tory party. And after a uh, new party election within the next week, she will then resign as prime minister. And I will just note here that since we've seen resignation in shame and scandal and disgrace, one after another after another from conservative party prime ministers, one after another after another. You know, I don't know much about British politics, so I'll just toss this out there. Um, Maybe the British people might try to put a Labor Party leader in place instead. Oh, well, there's an idea. I'm just saying, just, just a thought. I mean, it certainly doesn't seem like they could do much worse than this disastrous uh, string of conservative party leadership. British trade unions today are calling not for a new party election to determine a new Tory leader who would then become the next prime minister. But they are calling for a new general election in the wake of what Labour describes as a catastrophic conservative economic experiment. Well, that sounds familiar. Financial markets reportedly breathed a sigh of relief on the news that Liz Truss was stepping down after a record 44 days in office after announcing she had, uh, well, she had announced a half-baked scheme upon taking office, a half-baked scheme for essentially an unfunded huge reduction in taxes for rich people and cuts then cuts to social services. Then she reversed all of it shortly after uh Taking office, all of this happened within just the you know the past several weeks, uh, following the resignation of the previous conservative, uh, disgraced conservative prime minister Boris Johnson. Speaking to lawmakers on Wednesday night, Truss apologized for everything, admitted she had made mistakes, but insisted she would not resign. And then on Thursday, she resigned. She leaves a divided ruling party seeking a leader who can somehow unify its warring factions. She also leaves a nation in financial turmoil in the wake of the, uh, well, perhaps in retrospect, the ill-considered Brexit movement. (laughs) I don't know. That does seem to be the moment of inflection for them. Financial Credit Service uh, DBRS Morningstar sent an email to my inbox uh, today announcing that they were placing... The United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland's long-term foreign and local currency issuer ratings of AA, which is very high, under review with negative implications. So their credit rating has been lowered from AA to under review with negative implications. Overall, in uh, Morningstar's view, the policy, they say the policy inconsistency and an unclear medium term fiscal outlook is causing a deterioration in U.K. policy credibility and predictability and also increasing fiscal risks and potentially increasing risks to financial stability. DBRS Morningstar will maintain the U.K.'s ratings under review with negative implications looking for greater clarity on the government's policies in the coming months, which reminds me exactly of what happened back in 2011 in this country when the right-wingers pulled their crap uh, threatening to uh, default the U.S. government. Now, it's wild to me that the U.K. conservatives are blaming trusts for carrying out what 
you know, they elected her. They're the ones that put her in that position. Those were policies that, that they asked for and preferred. And now they're like, oh, hey, no, nay, why did you do well, that? Well, it's actually, it's unclear that they, pre- it's unclear what they actually prefer at all at this point. This exactly. party is in such disarray. And it reminds me back in 2011, it's as if it never happened. Because it's not something that people continue to talk about. It's as if the media completely forgot that, oh, yeah, that's right. The Republicans tanked the economy several times now. There in the U.K., as here in the U.S., it is, again, the so-called conservative party, the party of so-called fiscal responsibility, which continues to crash economies constantly with corrupt policies, hoping to support rich people while telling the working class to go to hell. But somehow, these parties continue to be seen as the responsible ones when it comes to the economy. Really? How can this be? How long will the working class, whether it's in the UK or here in the US, keep falling for this same reckless nonsense year after year, decade after decade? Even now, for some reason, here in the US, with folks worried about paying an extra quarter for a can of soup or an extra dollar for a gallon of gas because big oil has decided to raise prices for record profits as big food has also done the same. Even with all of that, polling continues to show that Americans believe Republicans somehow are better when it comes to the economy, despite the fact that Republicans have not offered one single policy suggestion that would lower inflation that Americans are so worried about. And yet the GOP is running on the claim that they would somehow better handle inflation which, by the way, is a worldwide problem. It is not a U.S. problem and has nothing to do with Joe Biden or the Democrats' policies. And the American media, while reporting those polls, oh, Americans are concerned about inflation, they do nothing to ask those uh, you know, voters, A, what they think Republicans should do about it, nor do they ask the Republicans, hey, what are you actually planning to do about it? What is your plan when it comes to inflation? Remember, every single Republican in Congress voted against a bill that would that would have prevented price gouging by oil and gas companies, which is right now the main driver of inflation. But doing something, well, Republicans were against it. Anyway, speaking of uh, both oil and gas, told you as a grab bag here, and also <laughs> speaking of under review with negative implications, we've got... Uh, Desi Doyen's latest Green News report coming up a little bit later. But there is one story we didn't have time for that is worth noting because I think it's actually good news. Though, uh, Des, feel free to correct me at any point here. (laughs) Uh, But it's nuanced enough that it was difficult to cover properly in a six-minute GNR. Yes. uh, Without going a bit deeper below the headline. Finally, some good news in the battle against greenhouse gases. Carbon dioxide, CO2, uh, carbon dioxide emissions from the burning of fossil fuels are on track to rise less than 1% this year. That, despite widespread concerns of a rush back to coal, oil, and gas amid a global energy crunch, and in particular, amid Russia's war in the Ukraine. Despite what you will hear from supporters of that war on both the right and, unfortunately, the far left, 
you know, in particular folks on the far left who are echoing Kremlin propaganda that this is a disaster because, well, now Europe is going to turn back to dirty fossil fuels. Well, they are to a certain extent, but not by a lot, it seems. And it's expected to be short lived. In the meantime, uh, as CNN's uh, Angela Dewin reports, we have electric vehicles and an uptake of renewables to thank for the surprisingly small increase in CO2 emissions. The International Energy Agency, or IEA, published its forecast in a report on Wednesday showing CO2 emissions are on track in 2022 for an increase of 300 million metric tons. That is not wonderful because any increase at this point is terrible. But it's a far smaller rise than the jump of nearly 2 billion tons that we saw last year, from 2 billion tons of increase in 2021 to just 300 million metric tons in 2022. Uh, That sounds like good news. Yeah, that is good news. I mean, it's it's. A decrease in the rate of increase, if that makes sense. A big decrease. A big decrease. decrease. And that that counts. That counts for a lot. IEA Executive Director Fatih Birol. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. Uh, He said in a statement, quote, the global energy crisis triggered by Russia's invasion of Ukraine has prompted a scramble by many countries to use other energy sources to replace the natural gas supplies that Russia has withheld from the market. The encouraging news, he said, is that solar and wind are filling much of the gap with the uptake in coal appearing to be relatively small and temporary. This means, he says, that CO2 emissions are growing far less quickly this year than some had feared and that policy actions, policy actions by governments, imagine that, are driving real structural changes in the energy economy, he said. He added those changes are set to accelerate thanks to the major clean energy policy plans that have advanced around the world in recent months. That would include, of course, Here in the U.S. with President Biden and the Democrats' $370 billion investment in climate as part of the Inflation Reduction Act, which is the single largest investment in climate change mitigation, not just in U.S. history, but in world history, anywhere. Yes, the the biggest single investment. This is true. And a way to think about this is to think about energy intensity. If you are creating a widget and you use fossil fuels to create that widget, that's going to be X amount of emissions. Mm -hmm. However, if you can switch out fossil fuels and use solar instead or solar for half of that, Mm -hmm. then your energy intensity in creating that widget has dropped by half. So what this is about is how renewable energy is replacing fossil fuels in production, in Mm -hmm. transportation, Mm -hmm. in electricity generation, reducing the energy intensity of the things we're already doing. I should note, when it comes to that uh, bill, the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, that invested nearly $400 billion into all of this, I would, be, I would be irresponsible if I did not note that not one single Republican in either chamber of Congress voted for that bill. Not one. Now, the IEA said that without the uh, major develop, uh, deployment of renewables and electric vehicles, EVs globally, 
that the rise in emissions, as you say, would have been much, much larger, potentially as much as one billion tons. Instead, it's predicted to be only about 200 million tons this year. Thanks again to renewables and EVs. So this stuff is making a difference. Though the demand for uh, for coal has increased as Russia's horrific war on Ukraine sends natural gas prices soaring. The increase in emissions from coal has been, quote, relatively small and, quote, considerably outweighed by the expansion of renewables, according to the IA uh, to the IEA's report. Meanwhile, the world has hit record growth this year in solar and wind power, generating more than 700 terawatt hours of energy, which is enough to power around 67 million American homes for a year. And that was uh, wasn't it uh, those remember those big those paid big oil climate deniers who used to uh, what do they used to say about wind and solar that it was a a boutique, a boutique energy. energy source <laughs> yes that could never really take the place of fossil fuels it's cute you can put it out you know you can power your 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 fountain yeah. in your backyard they maybe. were lying they were lying I'm starting to think maybe they were maybe that was not true. Uh, And here's some even more surprisingly good news from the IEA. Despite significant drought impacting huge swaths of the northern hemisphere, the overall picture for hydropower is actually still positive. Global hydropower generation has increased this year and is expected to contribute more than one-fifth of growth in renewables. Good news as well. The IEA forecasts EU Emissions will decrease decrease this year, even though the bloc's coal use is up. But that's how much renewables are up. Even with a rise, even with a rise in coal use, emissions are still expected to drop in the EU. Several EU countries are using more coal in response to the hike in gas prices and as Russia cuts off supplies to some uh, member states. But that said, this report comes less than three weeks before the COP27 climate negotiations begin in Egypt. It's another COP, Oh, yes. Every year. Every year. It feels like every month. COP stands for... (laughs) Conference of Parties. For the, uh, uh, yeah, Conference of Parties Parties. for the International... uh, Yeah, sorry. It's too many words to try to... It is. But COP27, it's their 27th year? Yes, it's the 27th meeting of the Conference of Parties. Yes, they do meet every year, but they have interim meetings in the middle, but this is the big one. Gotcha. So, yeah, countries are are going to, uh, well, as AP writes here, um, are expected to ensure their emissions reduction plans are aligned with the main goals of the Paris Agreement to contain global warming to two degrees Celsius, but preferably one and a half degrees compared to pre-industrial times. The IEA's forecast uh, makes for a rosier than expected backdrop to the talks, as CNN notes. But of course, scientists continue to warn that emissions should be rapidly decreasing uh, to keep to the one and a half degree goal in sight. So it's uh, great that it's it's increasing less but we still are going in the wrong direction. Yeah, it's still not enough, but the, the trend is clear and the trend is encouraging. If we make more, do more on that, then we should be able to get back on track. With that encouraging news, let's take a quick break here. We'll come back with uh, more broadcast and 
maybe the less encouraging news section uh, in our B block. And then, of course, it's Desi Doyen in the C block for the really <laughs> discouraging news. All that straight ahead on today's broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Headed for the open door. Tell me what you're waiting for. Yeah. What are you waiting for? Have you voted yet? What are you waiting for? I hope so. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. We are getting down to crunch time this year for uh, the year's critical midterm elections. When, yes, democracy itself and much more are all on the ballot. Now, by way of transparency, uh, though I am not a Democrat, I have for the first time in my nearly 20 years of reporting on elections come out to recommend that voters vote for Democrats this year. Not because I give a damn about the Democratic Party, but because I do give a damn about democracy. And at this point, the Republican Party is now on record as being against it, against democracy. They're in favor of uh, something much closer to autocracy, to insurrection, to overthrow of our constitutional republic. But the good news is that Democrats and those who support them are at least supporting democracy and the Constitution and the personal freedoms that we have long taken for granted Uh, but are watching sort of slip away, those uh, folks are finally understanding, I think, the very real grave threats that we now face from this rogue, radical, completely off the rails, Trump cultist GOP, as Norm Ornstein of the conservative American Enterprise Institute uh, characterized them here on uh, yesterday's broadcast. And uh, some of these Democrats and, and progressives are putting out some pretty hard-hitting ads to make their point to voters. Here is one from the uh, from Vote Vets, the largest progressive veterans group in America. It was founded in 2006. Uh, in addition to supporting veterans, it also helps both veterans and national security experts win elected office at the federal, state, and local level. This week, they released this ad in Wisconsin where Republican Senator Ron Johnson is in a tough battle against Democratic Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes. Uh, Johnson supported the January 6th insurrectionists. And he has been covering the airwaves with claims that Barnes, who happens to be black, is as uh, well. Johnson's ads describe him as, quote, different. Oh, boy. Got the dog whistle there. Anyway, the claim is that Barnes is just not tough enough on crime and he doesn't back the blue. Well, this week, Vote Vets took it straight to Johnson in the new ad featuring two veterans calling out Ron Johnson for his support of the insurrectionists who attacked the U.S. Capitol and the D.C. police, sending about 150 of them to the hospital. The group posted the ad to Twitter at first with the note, 
Senator Ron Johnson doesn't give a damn about the blue. He doesn't give a damn about the Constitution. He doesn't give a damn about protecting your rights. Those who honor their oath are here to tell you they will never vote for Ron Johnson. He doesn't deserve anyone's vote, they said. I, Gary Hawley, I, Michael O'Meara, do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. I swore that oath 51 years ago. And I live by those values today. So did the police officers who defended our capital and our Constitution on January 6th. hundred and fifty were beaten by violent insurrectionists. Five died. Multiple capital entry! Multiple capital entry! And Ron Johnson defended them. Those who attacked our democracy. Those who attacked our Constitution. Those who attacked our police. I could never vote for a traitor. I will not vote for Ron Johnson. I had, like, virtually no involvement. Literally, my involvement lasted seconds. Vote Vets is responsible for the content of this advertising. That was Ron Johnson at the end there, called a traitor by uh, one of those veterans, uh, Republican insurrection enthusiast Ron Johnson. According to the 538.com polling average, he is said to be about three points ahead of Mandela Barnes as of today in the Badger State, if you believe those polls. And then there is this ad from California's Democratic Congressman Eric Swalwell, who currently represents the state's 15th congressional district. But after redistricting out here uh, this year, he's going to be he's running for reelection in what is now the 14th district, where he is expected to fairly easily defeat his Republican opponent, Allison Hayden. Swalwell Swalwell released this chilling ad this week. You're weird. He is weird. But cute. Mary Anderson? Yes? I have a warrant for your arrest. Arrest for what? Penal Code 243 violation. Unlawful termination of a pregnancy. You gotta be kidding me. That That is my personal business. That's for the courts to decide, ma'am. Your medical records have been subpoenaed and Dr. Landry's already in custody. No, my, my God, you, you, you can't just... You will have to submit to a physical examination. What? By who? No, no, no one's touching me. Get Ma'am, turn around. Put your hands behind your back. Now. Why is this happening? Love you, We're just enforcing the law here. Elections have consequences. Vote Democrat on November 8th. Stop Republicans from criminalizing abortion everywhere. Protect women's rights and freedom. Please don't do this. So that's chilling. Yes. Uh, and of course, it's meant to be. It's meant to scare you. It should scare you. It's a dystopian future that many Democrats do not see as that far into the future at this point. And uh, frankly, they are right, because while that ad is just fictional, albeit with a certainly an emotional punch to it, even on uh, just audio only, 
The footage coming out of the state of Florida this week is chillingly identical. If you just replace the white woman being hauled away there by police for having an abortion with people of color being hauled away by police for voting. And this footage is real. It is not an ad. You recall in August of this year, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis held a dramatic news conference standing behind a banner that read election integrity. He was backed by a bunch of uh, uniformed law enforcement officials from his newly established so-called Office of Election Crimes and Security. He announced that the this new police force had just arrested about 20 people for voter fraud in the Sunshine State, boasting that he was keeping his promise to prevent fraud down there. Well, we would later learn that the people he had arrested were actually they were former felons who registered to vote and whose registration was approved by the state of Florida when they were sent a voter registration card. Now, it was their job to, you know, prevent someone who's not allowed to vote from being registered. But Florida didn't. And after the voters, uh, this all comes after Florida voters by uh, a, a landslide, 65 to 35 bipartisan landslide back in 2018 had voted in a statewide ballot initiative to allow former felons who had served their time to finally be allowed to vote in Florida, to have their rights restored. Now, DeSantis, who won his own election on the same ballot in 2018 by less than half a percentage point at that time, while this constitutional amendment passed 65 to 35, he immediately, when he came to office, he immediately ordered the Republican state legislature to put a bunch of restrictions on that new constitutional amendment. But the original constitutional amendment that was approved by Florida voters actually excluded uh, those who were charged with crimes that included murder or sexual uh, felony assault. It was apparently those people, apparently those former felons, again, who had been approved by the state to vote that DeSantis bragged about arresting for voter fraud in August. This week, the Tampa Bay Times got access to police body cam footage of some of those arrests. And frankly, they're both heartbreaking. And yes, they mirror, they echo that fictional Swalwell ad regarding a future dystopian arrest for the crime of abortion. As the Times reports, when police went to arrest Tony Patterson outside his Tampa home in August, he could not believe the reason. Quote, what is wrong with this state, man? Patterson protested as he was being escorted to a police car in handcuffs. Voter fraud? Y'all said anybody with a felony could vote, man. Body-worn camera footage recorded by local police captured the confusion and outrage of Hillsborough County residents who found themselves in handcuffs for casting a ballot following investigations by Governor DeSantis's new Office of Election Crimes and Security. The August 18 arrests conducted just hours before DeSantis called a news conference to boast about his crackdown on alleged voter fraud. Those arrests were carried out by state police officers accompanied by local law enforcement who also did not seem to fully understand why these people were being arrested at all. 
Here's uh, some of the audio from that footage of the arrest of Patterson. Apparently, I, I guess you have a warrant. For what? I'm not it's sure. For voter stuff, man. For voters. It's, it's uh, what it uh, is. It, I think the agents with FDLE talked to you last week about some voter fraud, voter stuff, when you weren't supposed to be voting, maybe. I didn't. So. What are they talking about? They, that's what you're, they, we're not the case agents, but what you got to do, they, they have reduced your bond quite a bit. It, it's two felony charges for voter fraud, but they reduced it to $500 bonds. So it's $1,000 total. Oh, my God, man. What so, the? Yes, sir. So, unfortunately, right now, we're going to have to take you to jail, but you are you got a bond right away. You don't have to go to first appearance, nothing like that. So, a bond? Yeah, I guess they're doing like some kind of roundup thing or something for all the ones that were within the county. This is crazy, man. Y'all put me in jail for something I didn't know nothing about. And my brother told me to vote for these people. Vote. I'm like, come on, man. And then I thought uh, felons were able to vote. That's why I signed a petition. Why would y'all let me vote if I wasn't, uh, I wasn't able to vote? I'm not sure, buddy. I don't know. And then why now? This happened years ago. Why now? Mm-hmm. Why me? Mm-hmm. Um, working on the CRA, about to take this guy to jail. Dude, these, uh, I've never seen these charges before in my entire life. Even the police can't believe it. Why now? Why now? Why him? Well, why now indeed, just months before... Uh, Ron DeSantis himself will be on the ballot again. DeSantis said during that news conference announcing the arrest, quote, they're going to pay the price. The price, I guess, for voting in a state where the state itself authorized those people to vote when they registered and sent them a registration of voter ID card. Ramona Oliver, 55 years old, she was about to leave for work when police walked up her driveway at 6.52 a.m. and told her that they had a warrant for her arrest. Okay. So, ma'am, we have a warrant for your arrest. For what? For voter fraud. Yes. So, if you could put your hands on your back, please. Oh, my God. Do so, not move. ultimately, ma'am, you have a warrant? Okay. It's for voter fraud, okay. I'm like, voter fraud? I voted, but I ain't fraud, commit no fraud. Well, so that's the thing. I I don't know exactly what happened with it, but you you do have a warrant. That's what it's for. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, indeed. Ramona Oliver, who said she was also never told that she could not vote. She was arrested on a third-degree felony for voting in 2020. Oliver and 19 others are facing up to five years in prison after being accused by DeSantis and state police of both registering and voting illegally. But as the videos further support, the amendment and subsequent actions by state lawmakers caused mass confusion for everyone about who was eligible. And the state's voter registration forms offer no clarity. They only require a potential voter to swear under penalty of perjury that they are not a felon. Well, these people were no longer felons. Or if they are, that their rights have been restored. They thought their rights were restored. The forms do not Clarify that those with murder convictions do not get automatic restoration of their rights. Oliver, the woman you heard there who served 18 years in prison on a second degree murder charge, she registered to vote 
at the Department of Highway Safety and Motor Vehicles in February of 2020. Six months later, she updated her address uh, because she moved and she completed another registration form. After eligibility checks by the Department of State, which reports directly to the governor and is responsible for cleaning the rolls of ineligible voters. After that, she was given a voter ID card both times. She was not removed from the rolls until March 30 of this year, more than two years later. And then months later after that, she was arrested. Of the 19 people arrested, 12 were registered as Democrats. And at least 13 are black, according to the Times Herald uh, investigation. A handcuffed Nathan Hart, 49, who appears to be white, found a sympathetic ear when he explained how he ended up registering and voting illegally, according to the sheriff's office recording. Hey, unfortunately, you got a warrant out, okay? Warrant? What's yes, sir. Want to put your hands behind your back for me? Yes, sir. Oh, no, but when I. No one ever really explained all that much to me. I told the guys when they came out here that I was at the, the driver's license place getting my new driver's license. Yeah. The guy there asked me, he says, hey, can you walk? He says, hey, are you ready for I'm pretty sure I can. He goes, well, are you still on probation? I said, no. Uh, I got off probation like a month ago. He goes, well, then you can probably vote. Hey, just fill out the form, and if you can vote, then they'll let you give you a card. If you can't vote, then you won't. And I'm like... All right. So that sounds like a loophole to me. Uh, well, we can hope. It's a little difficult to hear there. He's basically saying as he is standing there handcuffed, he's he's telling the officers that the guy at the driver's license place said, hey, are you eligible? Are, are, do, are you, have you registered to vote? He said he can't. He's a felon. The guy said, no, I think you can now. And go ahead and here's here's the form. Fill it out. If you're not allowed to vote, they won't send you a voter card. If you are eligible, they will. And, of course, they did. And he voted. And now he's being arrested. I I have been uh, hesitant since these videos came out a couple of days ago to play them at all, frankly, because while these arrests happened months ago in August, it's it's interesting to me that the tapes are finally being released right now, just weeks before the actual midterms. You know, as if to send a message to the state's nearly one and a half million former felons. Hey, you might not want to vote this year, even if we told you that you could. So I've been uh, kind of hesitant uh, to play that. But I got to tell you, after hearing that Swalwell ad uh, on abortion, which really seems to mirror these. I don't know. I, I, I just I don't I'm making a judgment call. It feels like it does more good than harm to let you know of the dystopian future that is actually happening right now in the state of Florida. Under the autocratic rule of Republican governor and presidential hopeful Ron DeSantis, who himself is on the ballot on November 8 against Democratic challenger and former governor Charlie Crist. According to 538's polling average, DeSantis is a clear favorite over Crist by more than seven points. Our friend Will Bunch at the uh, Philly Inquirer wrote about these uh, Florida tapes uh, today to say, quote, the shocking video of Florida cops handcuffing black people on trumped up voting fraud charges is both a throwback to the worst images of the Jim Crow South 
and a preview of a dystopian future under GOP authoritarianism. If these, man, if these images make you angry, he writes, the best revenge is doing the thing Republicans want to prevent, voting on November 8. In a uh, somewhat closer race in the great state of Florida, <laughs> incumbent Republican uh, Senator Marco Rubio is facing Congresswoman and former Orlando police chief Val Demings. The two squared off in a debate this week. Senator Rubio uh, served a brand new spin on the GOP's fake election fraud narrative about the horrors of mail-in voting at his debate with Val Demings on Tuesday night. And this uh, this claim from Rubio, this was even this was new to even me. And I've been covering these phony GOP voter fraud claims for nearly two decades now. During the, the debate with uh, Demings, Rubio claimed that there was, quote, danger involved with allowing absentee ballot drop boxes to be used. Seriously. That's a method of voting that doesn't advantage one group or another. There's danger involved in drop boxes. People need to think about it. Okay, imagine someone decides, oh, there's a drop box. I'm just going to put some explosive in it and blow it up and burn all of those ballots, and now those votes don't count at all. Okay, there is, there is something... With elections, there are two things that are very important. Number one, the count has to be accurate. The votes have to be counted accurately. But the other is there has to be public confidence. Uh The public has to believe that the elections were fair. Well, if the Dropbox isn't blown up, then that kind of takes care of that, right? (laughs) Now, mind you, until Donald Trump's pretend voter fraud lies in uh, 2020, concern about absentee ballot Dropboxes was not even a thing. And it shouldn't even be one now. But for, you know, folks like Rubio kissing up to Trump voters and using his lies to try to make it harder for people to vote. I mean, does Rubio have the same concern about mailboxes? Where you can also deposit your absentee ballot? Maybe we shouldn't use those because somebody might put a bomb in them. How about a voting precinct? Maybe we shouldn't let everyone vote at the precinct because someone could bomb it, too. You know, and this is all about confidence or something. He gave his uh, grave warning there about Dropbox bombings uh, was in contrast to his opposition to do anything about, you know, gun massacres across the state of Florida, including uh, uh, restrictions that he himself had once supported after the 2018 Parkland High School shooting. Um, The uh, debate moderator asked Rubio about his declaration in 2018 that he absolutely believed 18-year-olds should not be able to buy rifles and that he would, quote, support a law that takes that right away. Well, maybe now not so much after all. The killers in this year's mass shootings in Buffalo and Uvalde, Texas, were both 18. All used legally purchased AR-style rifles. In the nationally televised CNN town hall three days after the Parkland massacre, you said, quote, if you are 18 years of age, you should not be able to buy a rifle. I will support a law that takes that right away. Would you still support that federal law? Let me tell you why that law doesn't work and why that proposal doesn't work. We had a shooter last Thursday, tragic, in North Carolina. He was 15. Where did he get the gun? Denying the right to buy it is not going to keep them from doing it. Here's the fundamental issue. The fundamental issue is why are these kids, why are these people going out there and massacring people? Because a lot of people own AR-15s and they don't kill everyone. I understand, sir, but I want to go to Congresswoman Demings for 60 seconds. You know, people who are the families of... Victims of gun violence just heard that 
and they're asking themselves, what in the hell did he just say? Senator, you used the, the Pulse nightclub shooting as your inspiration to run again for the Senate in 2016. Parkland, uh, Pulse is in my district. And yet, you've done nothing, nothing to help address gun violence and get dangerous weapons out of the hands of dangerous people. Florida, after Parkland, after you made promises that you had no intentions on keeping to the parents of Parkland, Florida passed legislation raising the age to have an assault weapon, passed red flag laws that we've seen 7,000 plus instances where they've been used now. To, our primary responsibility is the safety of Floridians. And Senator, 24 years in elected office and you have not yet risen to that occasion. And then when asked about it, you say something that makes no sense. All right, Congressman, thank you. Again, Val Demings there is the former police chief yeah. of Orlando. And it also should be noted here that uh, the GOP senator even voted against a bipartisan gun violence bill just a few months ago that would provide states with funding for mental health resources and to enforce red flag laws that aim to prevent dangerous individuals from accessing guns. Since Rubio raised the point there about why is this happening? That's what we need to look at. There needs to be more done about mental health. Well, he voted against doing anything about it. Because he voted against that federal red flag uh, law bill. But Val Demings was not done making her point on this issue against Marco Rubio. You've done nothing, nothing to help address gun violence and get dangerous weapons out of the hands of dangerous people. It has nothing to do with the Second Amendment. This is about taking dangerous guns out of the hands of dangerous people. And the overwhelming majority of people in our nation want us to do just that. How long will you watch people being gunned down in first grade, fourth grade, high school, college, church, synagogue, a grocery store, a movie theater, a mall, and a nightclub Congresswoman. and do nothing? Good question. Republican Marco Rubio, if you believe pre-election polls and poll averaging, currently leads Democrat Val Demings by four and a half points in the race for U.S. Senator in the great state of Florida. Desi Doyen and the Green News Report are next on today's Grab Bag Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is supporting you and the things that you care about. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. Right now, as much as ever. If you choose to support us, you can do it really easily, safely, and quickly via brandblog.com slash donate. From Desi Doyen and myself... Thank you. We covered so many various things on today's broadcast as that yeah, today's broadcast grab bag. Yes, <laughs> I, that I don't even remember what the hell it is in our late, that we have in our latest. <laughs> 
Green News report. Drawdowns on the reserves so far have played a big role in bringing down oil prices. We're going to continue to responsibly use that national asset. President Biden orders release of more oil from nation's strategic petroleum reserve. Today we begin to right the wrongs inflicted on our residents by companies who deliberately chose profits over our global environment. New Jersey becomes latest state to sue big oil over climate science lies. Plus, the decisions we make now are going to determine the future of our nation and the future of your generation for the next 30 or more years. Midterm elections will determine the course of climate action for decades. All of those decisions and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. It's the final batch of 180 million barrels from the nation's stockpile that the president last spring pledged to release over six months. Today, saying the reserve is still more than half full, but Republicans say the reserve is half empty. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I'm sure your news is both half empty and half full. (laughs) What do you have for us today? Well, first up, in Nigeria, unusually intense seasonal rains have triggered the worst flooding in years, damaging homes, infrastructure, and vast swaths of farmland. The intense flooding has killed more than 600 people and displaced more than a million, aggravating food and fuel shortages in Africa's most populous nation. Extreme rainfall is directly linked to man-made global warming. Here in the U.S., in Florida, inland flooding is still receding weeks after Hurricane Ian. Officials now warn of a surge in infections of flesh-eating bacteria. The bacteria thrive in warm, brackish waters and can be deadly. Twenty-nine people have been infected in hard-hit counties so far. Four have died. It's just getting better and better down there, isn't it? In other news, a new study finds that PFAS chemicals, a class of chemicals widely used in household and industrial products that are linked linked to kidney and liver disease and cancer, are likely polluting most U.S. waterways. The study found detectable levels of PFAS chemicals in 83 percent of waterways tested in the United States. The Biden EPA has begun the process of regulating PFAS chemicals. Aren't those the same PFAS chemicals that are also found in everyone's bloodstream at this point? Yes. Not good. President Biden on Wednesday announced the release of an additional 15 million barrels of oil from the nation's strategic petroleum reserve to lower rising gas prices that are driving inflation. Although gas prices have been falling and domestic oil production is returning to pre-pandemic levels, Saudi Arabia's OPEC plus oil cartel recently voted to cut production to raise global oil prices, helping Russia to fund its brutal war on Ukraine. The Saudis' move is widely seen as a ploy to boost Republicans' chances in the November 8 midterm elections. If Republicans win control of Congress, they will slow down America's shift away from gas and oil. The midterms are hugely consequential for the future of climate policy and clean energy. While Democrats have passed the most significant climate legislation in U.S. history through the Inflation Reduction Act and last year's bipartisan infrastructure bill, Republicans at both the state and federal levels have vowed to dismantle climate policies, handcuff agencies, expand oil and gas drilling, and weaken pollution standards. Politico reports that state governors' races are critical for climate. 
it, particularly in swing states like Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Arizona, where Democrats face Trump-endorsed Republican climate science deniers. It matters because state officials will control a significant chunk of infrastructure funding from the Democrats' landmark climate law, deciding how and where and if to deploy it. Are they allowed to use it to drill for more oil? They might just find a way to do that. I bet they will. But some good news. The Biden administration announced it will hold the first ever offshore wind lease sale for energy projects off the coast of California. Finally, some accountability news. The state of New Jersey this week became the latest to announce a lawsuit against five oil majors, including Exxon and BP and the American Petroleum Institute, for deceiving consumers about climate change in violation of state law. Multiple investigations have proven that the companies knew since the 1950s that burning their product would cause catastrophic climate change, and the companies chose to spend millions on a decades-long massive disinformation campaign to sow doubt about climate science. New Jersey Attorney General Matthew Platkin cited the rising costs of climate disasters and infrastructure damages, saying the oil industry, not taxpayers, should pay. It's long overdue that these betrayals of their customers and of the public come to an end, and that the perpetrators of these lies pay for their conduct, and that the people of New Jersey receive restitution for all that they have lost. Go New Jersey. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. I've been a lot of places, seen pictures of the rest. But of all the places I can't think of, I like Jersey best. Yes, I do too. <laughs> At least for the moment. Yes. Thank you very much, Desi Doy, and thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at brandblog.com. And of course, when I say free, what I actually mean is free uh, to everyone, but supported by those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate. Just hit one of the donate buttons at Bradblog. You guys are the only things that keep us on your public airwaves where we can be completely independent and free and say anything we want as long as the FCC doesn't get <laughs> mad at us. You can drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Bradblog. I'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Throughout the country, newspaper subscribers are asking questions like, Hey, who took my Saturday paper? What happened to those political cartoons and columns that I liked? Why does it take two days to get election results and sports scores? How did my local paper get filled with filler? Oh, and who doubled the price of the damn thing? The cause of all the above is a Wall Street concept called financialization, a euphemism for corporate plundering. Multi-billion dollar hedge funds like SoftBank Group, Alden Capital, and Chatham Asset have bought up thousands of our dailies and weeklies. 
They extract enormous profits not by making a better journalistic product for customers and the community, but by eliminating reporters, selling off each paper's real estate and assets, shriveling and standardizing content, and jacking up the paper's price. Like avaricious airlines, the profit strategy of these Wall Street newspapers is to monopolize the market, then charge more for less. But won't readers stop subscribing? Of course, they're leaving in droves. But hedge fund profiteers don't care, for their plan is to strip mine the business of every dime it has, take the profits, and leave town. For example, SoftBank, the Japanese owner of the Gannett chain, has pillaged hundreds of our local papers and is now making another round of deep cuts in its newsrooms, including dumping some 800 more journalists. The financializers are also requiring other employees to take unpaid leave and are suspending payments to their pensions. SoftBank bosses simply said, "We need to ensure our balance sheet remains strong." This is Jim Hightower saying, "Sure, take care of number one, but what about ensuring that local journalism remains strong, providing the information and connections that communities must have for strong democracies?" But don't be silly; that's not part of the hedge fund business model. The Hightower Radio Lowdown is made possible by you lowdowners who subscribe to our monthly newsletter, The Hightower Lowdown. You know who you are. Thank you.